Welcome to the Gospel Journey Podcast. The Gospel Journey exists to help our people get into discipling relationships that are centered on God's Word and led by His Spirit. This week, we're in Ephesians 3 of Path 7. My name is Ben Robin. I'm here with Jamie Trussell and Damon Conley. So, Jamie, one of the first things I noticed here in chapter 3 of Ephesians is this recurring idea of the mystery that Paul's talking about. Can you kind of explain what he's referring to there? Yeah, I just want to do my best. I want to hear from Damon as well. But uh, And I'm glad you brought that up because we want to be helpful in this podcast with people going through the gospel journey with one another. And this is one of the things we highlighted in the field guide. But if we just take the idea of mystery... That can lose its meaning if we only think through it in our English language. So most of us are familiar with a mystery TV show, mystery novel, mystery book, which is basically based on something that's unknown. It's important to realize that when Paul talks about mystery, it's not unknown because God knows it uh, uh, for, for, from the, for the fullness of time, from, from, from eternity past. So a mystery is something previously unknown to us that God has revealed in its fuller manifestation, so this mystery of Christ is what's God always, uh, what what God has always known to be true. Now we learn to be true because God's revealed it to us. And specifically, it's the church, right? That the Gentiles are co-heirs with Israel. Yeah, I think that specifically here it is unpacking this mystery of Christ that is God taking what are two people and bringing them into one. And presenting that, which we'll later see in chapter 3, is saying God's manifold wisdom is displayed not just to the things we can see, but to the spiritual realms. This is God's proclamation Mm -hmm. of who he is and his nature and his character made visible through building this local church, which is what we've talked about. We're becoming a gospel people. Yes, I I agree. I think when you think through the mystery is what Paul is talking here, the answer as we get it in Ephesians, first comes in chapter 1, he says in verse 9, Make known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, uh, things in heaven and on earth. You know, the mystery of this church bringing Jews and Gentiles together, uh, where we see that he's telling them that, you know, you Jews and Gentiles, you are heirs together, uh, that you're members together. Uh, is what we see in terms of this mystery, which was not, you know, shared in, in past times, but also that they're fellow partakers together in this. And so it's such a beautiful, uh, beautiful passage uh, as we um, will we'll continue to look and walk through in chapter three. That uh, was definitely something that was mind blowing, uh, I believe, at that time. And still for us today, I think as we think through this, this is something that uh, it's just a very, very important uh, for us to know. So this is 60-something A.D. We're first century uh, <coughs> Roman colony culture here. Uh, you have groups of people, even from the Jewish background, that shouldn't have been together. Yes. From the Roman background, they shouldn't be together. Right. They are together. Uh, it's easy to, you know, 2,000 and some, or a little less than 2,000 years later to think this probably came together pretty easily. Right. This is Apostle Paul. This is a church. Uh, I think if we do believe that, we miss what would have been a lot of the difficulty, even in this setting. Yes. But you already brought about, it's important for us to remember today, unpack that a little bit more as far as this manifold wisdom of God, this mystery of Christ, bringing together people whom culture would say shouldn't be together. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if I'm getting ahead, but like if you look at verse 6 in chapter 3, says, you know, this is the mystery. Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, 
partakers of the promise uh, uh, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, uh, again, Paul, as you just said, there are groups of people who are together that ordinarily would not be together. Like uh, the hostility that was there going back to chapter two, you know, the wall of hostility being, you know, brought down through the blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there, there, there are people who are together who are not supposed to be together. They're not, they did not grow up on the same side of the tracks. Um, you know, you have one group of people who were unable to be a part of the fellowship because they were unclean. Now Paul is saying, Hey, this, this is the stewardship. This is the grace God gave me, uh, outside of the grace of just, uh, being purchased by his blood, but I had the grace to preach this to the Gentiles so that they could be a part of, uh, of this fellowship. So I opening stuff then, but now I think the same thing happens when we look at the church and you look at, you know, this multi-ethnic movement uh, of people saying, Hey, you know, the church, we all should be one. Like we shouldn't be segregated, you know, if, if it's possible in, in a place like Memphis and other places where if you have, you know, uh, white Christians and black Christians and, um, uh, you know, Latino brothers and sisters who are Christians, like at all possible, it'd be great for us to see that we, we're all purchased by the same blood of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and, and that we should be able to, to worship together, uh, worship the true and living God, come together as a body to worship him, to be mutually encouraged uh, with one another uh, in the gospel. Uh, but also, uh, as I bring my culture uh, to to bear uh, in, in this fellowship, that I can still be who I am as an African-American or as a white brother or as an Asian uh, brother uh, and not have to dismiss that because we're purchased by the same blood. So we come and I worship Jesus. And I adore Jesus. I pray we, we want to be missional, but also at the same time, I'm an African-American and there are things that, um, you know, that, that I think the, the, the body of Christ should be able to embrace and to empathize with, uh, you know, when things happen, you know, in my life. I mean, that doesn't take away the fact that I've been purchased by his blood. I think that's one of the hardest things for us as people is that the cultural issues uh, are not such that, like Damon, you were talking about, you shouldn't have to shed your culture in order to come here and fit in and, and call it home, right? And neither should I. Uh, the reality is that in our situation, I don't really give a, a second thought to that, whereas you might have to think about sure. it. And, and it's really hard, I think, just for me in particular, to really be thinking through what's a cultural issue and what's not. Because yeah. sometimes I may discount something as not cultural and as like, oh, well, this is a biblical thing that we can't compromise on. Yeah. That may be my tendency. And it may not be for others, uh, but we really want to be sort of rightly dividing there what's cultural and what's not and, and allowing multiple cultures to flourish together and not mandating that biblical Christianity only looks like this one culture. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. And, and I think, you know, for us, we, we may look at it in our present time like this is uh, something that is too hard. Mm. I don't think what we did, what we were wrestling with could be any more difficult yeah. than what they did totally here. Agree. Like, I mean, there was such a hostility. I don't, I don't think we could really um, grasp it, even though we've had you know, issues in our country historically uh, that you say, okay, I can see why there are certain people groups who would be hostile towards another one. Um, but the, the hostility that was here, and Jamie mentioned it earlier, between these <laughs> groups of people, I mean, it was very, very thick. I mean, it was, and if they were able to get through this, having a, a, someone like Paul who used his you know, authority, he used his stewardship that God gave him to speak into that, I think 
we should be able to do the same thing, and we should have you know people in our churches, leaders, elders, or whoever that are not afraid, as Paul did here, just to say, look, uh, we're not here to try to argue that you know one culture should be raised up above another right. culture. We just say, look, this is the gospel. We're all purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you know, there are certain things that we will have to suffer together with. That's right. Deny we ourselves. Deny ourselves. For, yeah. Absolutely. And so I think if Paul could do it and stood up for this cause and, and the church would begin to move together, I think it, it should be easier for us in our time and culture to do that. Still difficulties there, but... Um, just following what, what the Word of God says, he says that we are all fellow heirs and members of the same body. Not a different body, the yeah. same body. Yeah. Um, and whether it's difficult or not, and I'm sure there are times when it's more difficult than others and times when it's less difficult than others, but the difficulty isn't actually the most important thing. The most important thing is what you said. We're all purchased by the same blood of Jesus. Absolutely. So no matter how difficult it is, it's worth it. That's a good word. It's worth it to die to myself for the sake of my brothers and sisters. Yep. Every time. It is. Um, and we actually can aim too small at this. And so back to what Damon said about multi-ethnic movements or cultures coming together, which I'm wholeheartedly in agreement with. But if that is the bullseye of the target, I think we miss absolutely the bullseye, which Paul's highlighted here, which is here's why we want it to happen. Right. So, so in a city like Memphis, here's why we want, uh, uh, you know, people of European descent, African descent, Asian descent, worshiping together, if possible. Uh, the reason why is because in verse 10, it's through the church, yes. the manifold wisdom of God is known. It's not through the church that the world learns about racial reconciliation, though they can and should. But the church exists to make God's manifold wisdom known. And look what it says in verse 11. This is according to his eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. And so to, to go off what you and Damon are saying is when this is happening in the church, it's actually about more than cultures coming together. It's about more than racial reconciliation. It's about more than black and white. It is about the name and manifold wisdom of God that we, if we do die to ourselves, get the opportunity to display not just to this world, but Paul would say to the rulers and principalities of the air. Like, yeah. And incidentally, which I think if you're discipling, especially younger believers in these groups, this is a great point to stop, and I love y'all's input on this, is the the importance of the local church in a Christian's life is non-negotiable. There's no such thing in the New Testament as as a Christian who's not a part of a local church. It it, it, it it's 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 not it's not even congruent. And Paul doesn't write about having to be that way because it was assumed we would be that way. And if you miss out, so if you're deciding with someone who isn't convinced they should be in the local church, they are missing out. On what Paul is saying here is the opportunity to be a part of something that's displaying the manifold wisdom of God to the world. Uh, I think that's incredible. And you're right, it's so crucial for us to understand the, the importance of church membership and, and, and other, other reasons for that. But specifically, uh, as we're relating to this context, yes, that's where the driving force you know, will be. Uh, I, I love going back, and I know I keep going backwards here. I, I think it should be stressed is that, yeah, the bullseye is not the kind of the outlier pieces. The bullseye is the gospel. We're purchased by his blood, and it shouldn't be, you know, trying to be multi-ethnic or trying to do those things. I think you're right. The bullseye 
is and should always be surround, you know, on the gospel, centered on the gospel and everything else should flow from that. So I'm glad you, you said that, Jamie. That's very, very important. But the implications of us pursuing the gospel as a bullseye should then necessarily lead to these other things it if should, possible. Yes, now, absolutely, yeah. And right. we could get into, you know, people's ideas on multi-ethnic ministry or whatever, but if we're in a diverse we have time part for of that th- today. No, we don't. <laughs> uh, but 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 just just save it. I, I I would leave it at this. Um if you live if your church is located in a ethnically diverse part of a city, I would assume that pursuing the gospel that would be reflected in your membership. It, it seems like it should, you know, but there's still difficulties to that. You have to have uh, leaders of churches, elders and pastors who are at churches that wholeheartedly would embrace this. I don't think your congregation uh, is going to, and again, I can't make a general statement, but typically as the leader goes, that's how the congregation will go, uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But in this case, if we don't have leaders in churches that step up to say, yes, my city looks like, a, you know, 30%, 30%, whatever the split would be, or my community or my neighborhood. Um, and if they're not pursuing it, and I'm not just saying just pursuing it in terms of hiring people or wanting people to be a part of the church sitting in the pews. But if they're not saying, hey, my relationships, my lunch tables, you know, my, you know, who's it who's invited to dinner? If it doesn't look like what we're trying to do in the church, then it's not going to happen. And we see this happen over and over again. Uh, but you're right. It should be, you know, a part of the ebb and flow uh, in terms of the, the action items because of the gospel. It should compel us to try to make our churches look like whatever the city makeup is. If you're in a place where yeah. it's all black or all white, then you know it would be difficult. But in a place like Memphis, we have such a great opportunity to uh, to do what 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 Paul is saying here. You know, we're we're all members together. What it looked like for the, the African, the, the the Latino, the Asian, the black, the white, whatever, to be together in one body here at a church, it'd be a beautiful expression of the gospel. It is, and but to your point, it is hard work and oftentimes slow work, but but good work. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely worth it. Yes. I totally agree with what you've said as well, Damon. And I think it is absolutely an essential part of leading well in a church. I think what I've found is that it can be easy for us to hear that and agree with that, and I do, um, and then sort of justify, oh, well, that's their job. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case either. Our own relationships, everybody who's listening to this, everybody at Harvest Church has a responsibility uh, to pursue these kinds of relationships across lines that would typically divide in the world but are joined together in Christ. Uh, and so, like, we can think about our own lives. Do our own dinner tables look like this? Mm-hmm. D- does our own sort of everyday uh, habits of life revolve around people who look just like me and think just like me? Or uh, is it diverse in the sense of the, body of the diversity of the body of Christ? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. You know, I think for me, I probably maybe have an advantage in this where, you know, uh, my wife and I, we don't have an option uh, to not, you know, have a, a dinner table that's diverse, you know, just because of um, the people we do life with, people who are in our neighborhood. It's just, it's. I think it's more natural for us to, to do that. We're comfortable with that. Um, I will say this. I stepped out of the box last year. Uh, my wife and I, we don't really eat fast food, and I, I see myself with my kids at McDonald's of all places eating um, these dollar 
chicken sandwich and and and, and what, what what's the name of that sandwich called a, a McGrubble sure, McDouble yeah. and McChicken they're delicious. So I'm, I'm sitting there with my brother. You have uh, committed adultery on Chick Fil A. <laughs> <at that point. laughs> no, no, it yeah. was delicious. It, it was delicious, but you know I'm sitting with, with with Ben and his wife, and still in Memphis, 2000, uh, 2016, as we're sitting there. You could see people looking as if this was something that was foreign, mm. you know, as, as we're sitting there uh, in McDonald's, you know, not in a fine dining restaurant. Um, you know, I'm 35 years old and, 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 and the looks are still there, you know, and I, I'm not one who looks for racism or anything or looks for, you know, people who, who don't like this. But it's hard not to, to, to see that. Right. Same thing happened. I'm, I'm sitting with Hunter and we're in uh, Whitehaven, a predominantly African-American uh, community. And we're sitting at uh, I'm, I'm losing my, my mind right now. We're at Uncle Lou's and we have a table. I mean, we got the spread. I mean, we got 50 wings. We got biscuits. And as people are in there and, and this place is, you know, it's been on Food Network. So, you know, they're white, black, everybody's coming in there. But as we're sitting together and it was three white brothers and a, a white sister, myself and, and I think Biss and Joplin with us. People were looking like, what's happening here? You know, like mm-hmm. this, you know, this does not naturally, you know, seem like this should be where we're enjoying a meal. Like if we're working together, they get it. But we're just sitting enjoying a meal, kind of carefree. And so for me, it's, it's, it's been more natural to do those things. I'm waiting for the time uh, when when it's more natural for all of us whether you're black, white or whatever, to, to, if you're part of the majority culture for that's normal for you to have someone doing lunch or dinner. I think that'll really help, as you said, to, for all of us to be partakers in that. Well, those looks, I think speak to the fact that this is a mystery of Christ. Yeah. It's interesting that the church of Christ defies the world. It does always, you know, always countercultural and that those looks, people don't understand why this is a mystery that's revealed. Yes. And that lines directly up with the scriptures of going, well, that doesn't make sense. That's exactly right. <laughs> and God has to reveal it. Absolutely. And the heart behind it for it to make sense. Now, I would argue your first illustration of McDonald's, they were looking at you funny because you ordered chicken at Prob- McDonald's. Probably so. You're right. That goes against what I typically do. That for, is, yeah, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. But the fact that I was in McDonald's, you know, that was me trying to come across the tracks. You know, sure, so. sure. <laughs> Jamie, I, I hear in the schools these days that they say things like, haters going to hate, and you're being a hater right Ooh. now. I I don't ever want to hear you say the word hater again. That's like the, okay. the whitest way I've ever in heard biblical language. Say it. Maybe I could say scoffers that, gonna that scoff. Was the whitest, that's what you're doing. That right. was the whitest. Jamie, I feel like you're quote. bringing up a wall of hostility that was yeah, torn yeah, down. Yeah. Like we, you know, we, we just got through that in the last chapter. Let's not <laughs> well, well, let's not raise those walls back up. You're more spiritual than me. Trussell, turn down those walls. <laughs> One of the other things that seems really important in verse 11 in this first section is that this is God's eternal purpose. So we we've pointed out that the mystery is hidden from us. Uh, but as you said earlier, Jamie, God knows all things. I mean, he knew this was coming. Yep. And I think verse 11 exposes that, that this is his eternal purpose. His plan was to unite all things in Christ through the church, to display his manifold wisdom through the church. And we certainly get hints or glimpses of this mystery in the Old Testament that God tells Abraham, through you and your offspring, I'll bless the nations. You see through the prophets, these prophecies that the nations are going to come to Yahweh in the same way that Israel does. And so we're seeing that in verse Isaiah 11. 49, you get, you'll be a light to the Gentiles. That's so, right. Yeah. yeah, God's plan has been from the beginning to bless the nations. And so we're seeing God's plan come to fruition in the church. Yeah, and it's beautiful. It is. Um, okay, so 
uh, speaking of the church, Paul's writing here to the church at Ephesus, maybe a series of house churches. Um, the thing that I love about Paul and his writings is this is not some guy who's divorced emotionally from the people that he's writing to. He loves these churches. His heart bleeds for these churches. And we really see him transition to these intensely personal moments of prayer mm. in chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Uh, and so this is the next thing we highlighted in the field guide as, as something not to miss about the book of Ephesians. And so, uh, uh, you know, Ben or Damon, I'd love to hear y'all jump in on just this prayer of Paul. It is, it's emotional. It's personal. Uh, and I love that. It's, a hu- it's human. This is a man that is deeply dependent on God and has a heart. You could argue the Ephesian church was maybe the church closest to his heart. Mm. Uh, when you see the weeping when he departs from the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, I believe that it is. And so looking at this prayer, how, how do we use this in our gospel journey groups to even help our understanding of prayer and how to, how to help people we're discipling or growing in the Lord with approach God in prayer? I've always found it remarkable that he doesn't pray for their circumstances to change. Mm. He doesn't pray for their health to get better. And those are good things, of course. But but we just don't see apostolic prayers in the scriptures regarding circumstances. Instead, what Paul's praying for here is that they would understand and grow up into the love of God in Christ. Mm. The gospel that has saved them would, I mean, just convict and convince their hearts that God loves them and change the way that they live. You're right. I, I think, um, you know, as, as Jamie said, you definitely can, you know, feel the passion as you're, as you're reading this. Um, you know, the, the opening statement for this reason, I bow my knees, you know, this just shows, you know, just in him bowing mm. uh, his knees uh, to the father, you know, on behalf of, of this church. Uh, definitely just shows again his his love his passion and, and maybe you're right. He, he maybe was closer to this church than some of the other ones. But again, He's p- praying for, you know, for spiritual strength for them. Yep. Uh, I think that's important. I think that is countercultural. I think that term was used earlier in terms of just diversity in church. But you would think that he would say, hey, man, I would hope that your situation would change, your circumstances would change. As mm-hmm. Ben just pointed out, that's not what he prayed for. He prayed for their spiritual strength. <laughs> like, wow, what a model. Um, you know, when I think about, People who are suffering with all types of different issues, whatever they are, that's not the first thing that's coming to my mind is to pray. Hey, I'm praying that you have spiritual strength mm. to endure this season of your life. Uh, you can just tell just his uh, his desire, his knowing that, man, God, without God and the Holy Spirit strengthening these folks, nothing is going to happen. That's right. and, and I think that's very, very important for us. And as I'm reading this and as we read to to prepare for this, I was in my mind thinking like, man, how, I need to change my prayer life because mm-hmm. that is not the first, that's not my first response. If I could just be honest with yep. you, my first response is Lord, help me figure this out. Help me get out of this, uh, not help, you know, not help me to get through this by yep. having the, the strength to, you know, endure. So I, I think that's huge. Yeah. Like you, I'm still thinking about how does my personal prayer life differ from Paul's. And, and another thing that I noticed is the whole thing ends with doxology. How much oh, of my man. prayer life is consumed with how good and great God is? Uh, mm. Most of my prayer life, kind of like you were just confessing, I'd say the same is, God, do this thing for me. Hey, will you do this thing for me? Can yeah, you help yeah. me become? Mm-hmm. And even even good stuff, like, can you help me become more like Jesus? I pray that a lot. That's mm. what I want. Mm. But how much am I praying for other people? And how much specifically am I praising God for who he is? Even Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's yeah, where he starts. Yeah. The character and nature of God. How well, much do I pray like that? Well, here what? And if we're going to be good, you know, Bible study students. Yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's. Here's what's so fascinating about what y'all said, which I'm in complete alignment with. This prayer is not about get me out of these circumstances, mm-hmm. but it's actually a circumstance of suffering that is the catalyst to the prayer. Oh, that's a good point. So, so, but, but if you look at for this reason, that's connected to verse 13. Yes. What don't lose heart over what I am suffering yeah. for you. So it's because now look at this because of his suffering, he's praying for them to be strengthened. Yes. He's not saying that they wouldn't suffer. He's not saying, God, I'm praying that God won't let you experience what I'm experiencing. He's saying, I'm praying that when you do experience what I'm experiencing, God will grant you the strength to get through it, which is, as y'all are saying, a radically different approach to prayer. Very mature, very mature prayer. It it is. And and it goes back to what you said, Damon. The only way for the Christian is through. It's not around. That's right. It's not to pray. It is on out. Yeah. It is through. And that's what I love. I, I, I always love teaching Jesus uh, uh, walking on water and because I really think the disciples have a preconceived notion that can't be Jesus because if it was Jesus, the storm would have stopped. Yes. And the storm didn't stop, and Jesus still says, it's me, and it shatters our paradigm that if God is really here, the storm wouldn't continue And Jesus' point is God is here and the storm is continuing because the greater thing is my presence, not the changing of your circumstances. And that is what Paul, I think, that that has taken root in his heart and his Christ-likeness is seen in the prayer he articulates. Yeah, the apostles are acquainted with suffering more than than probably any of us. Yes, and if Paul can pray this, you could at least make an argument during Nero's reign and persecution— of the church and Christians in Rome, uh, I, you know, we, we haven't been through that. It's fair to say. Yep. And so, uh, say what? <laughs> right. So, and, and, look, and now look, that's so not when I got that spiritual, when I got that speeding ticket, that wasn't, <laughs> that, wasn't <laughs> that was persecution of the that worst kind. <laughs> but I do think it's good for us to draw a line here. Sometimes we call suffering, uh, and persecution, um, uh, we we call things that in our lives that aren't exactly what the apostles are talking about in Christ's time. Now, can you suffer through an illness? Yes, right. You, but that's a different type of suffering. Yeah. And 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 so just just I don't want to minimize that. Right. But I do want to say that's not always suffering for the sake of the gospel. Paul is in prison and about to die because he is following Christ, not because of any anything else. He's telling people he's about Christ. Jesus, and the authorities didn't like that, so they locked him up. Yeah. Which incidentally. His ministry, he says, is a gift from God. Yes. So if we want to really mess with our theology, Paul's saying, God gave me a gift. And by the way, that gift led me to being imprisoned, and one day I'll be executed for. The gift God has given me to preach the mystery of Christ. You're right. And and no one's going to look at that as being a gift, especially when you are suffering. Um, You know, this, this stewardship that God gave him is to saying, hey, you know, in his prayer, he's basically saying, look, I am praying that God in his richness, you know, would, mm. would, would, would. Hmm. So while you're suffering, hey, God is still powerful. He is still sovereign, even though you don't feel it right now because you're, right. you're trying to, you know, get, find some way to escape. But just to be reminded that, man, God is still, he's still God. Like yep. he is sovereign and he has you right where uh, you need to be, you know, for his purposes. Um 
it's just extraordinary. And I'm thinking through, as you said earlier, how, how do we use this as a model for those who we are discipling mm-hmm. to get them, you know, as well as ourselves? How do we get our men and women who we're discipling to have this type of maturity mm. in their prayer life so that when they are discipling people, that this would be the thing that is passed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think this is just extraordinary. That, uh, yeah, that it may be helpful. Yeah, it may be helpful mm. for for our groups this week as you're going through Ephesians three, just to practice praying together. I don't I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with that. Like, let's try to pray like Paul does, mm-hmm. and let's pray with each other. And mm-hmm. hopefully, that's happening in our groups already. But this might be a special week for us to spend even more time in prayer as we gather together. Yep, and then um, I want to again circle back to to something we've already mentioned and saying, Damon, you mentioned it being a gift and the maturity, but this is only a gift. So suffering for Christ's sake is only a gift if intimacy with God is our goal. Ooh, that's it's only a gift if intimacy with God is our goal. Now I'll say pastorally, I have to be really careful, Jamie. You know there are going to be some people who are probably going to cut the podcast off. Am I? <laughs> but here, so, so but I hope they Strong keep it going because there. I want to make a nuance. Pastorally, I'm not saying if your kid gets sick or you get cancer, you. I'm not saying in the same sense God has gifted you with with um, this tragedy of your child or whatever. To bring. I'm saying just contextually here, if you're suffering for the sake of Christ. For the proclamation of the gospel, Paul does seem to think if intimacy with God is the goal, suffering for his name is a gift mm-hmm. because it drives us further into that intimacy. And I want to make that suffering distinction clear uh, on this podcast. We've got to have room in our theology for categories of suffering. Certainly. There, there is a kind of suffering That's that good. we all endure just because we're in a sin broken world yes and so i mean you referred to earlier the death of children is one of those things that is an evil absolutely terrible not the way it's supposed to be kind of thing yes that is suffering and it's terrible i can't imagine it personally that's that's not the kind of suffering we're talking about in ephesians not here not in this passage yes not not here Uh, yeah you're right we do need to figure out uh, in the church how to how to create these categories because you know this is i think the one thing that is definitely counter-cultural or counter-intuitive is one of my mentors like to use all the time to, you know, I don't know if it's American Christianity, this whole idea of suffering for the sake of the gospel. Uh, I've been in different places, China, India, where you see people who are literally struggling. You know, mm-hmm. they're, 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 they're for the sake of the gospel, they're That's being right. persecuted. And it is different from what we, you know, at least at this point in our history in America, we, we're not there yet. But that this is the gift, you know, like if, if you're, as you said, Jamie, if the goal is intimacy with Christ and, and, and this is why being in a, in a good Bible preaching, Bible believing church is so important to have clear messages of the gospel presented because there's so many, you know, people who are nominal Christians who think that, you know, being a Christian means best life now, mm. you know, being a Christian means, Hey, Everything is going to be well. That's right. Um, and but 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 if if intimacy with Christ, as you said, Jamie, is the goal for a believer, then yes, suffering will come. Like you see that all throughout the scriptures, the folks who God uses, uh, they, they they did not have uh, you know they had good lives because they were attached to Him, but they were sent on missions where um, 
their lives were on the line. That's right. Uh, all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, all of them who had these messages that were counterintuitive to the, the, the culture at that time. You look at the apostles, you look at Paul being one who, um, you know, grew up on the right side of the tracks and, and, and grew up in the right family. Him being the one to go and preach to the Gentiles and, and you know, all these different things. Yes, it, suffering is going to be a part of right. us if intimacy with Christ is our goal. If intimacy with Christ is not our goal, then I think you are um, probably following under a different religion and, well, you, and you're not. And it's pretty presumptuous, <laughs> presumptuous of us to think we should have it better than our king. Um, so I don't know maybe the best way to end this podcast is let's just read those last two verses which end as a prayer I was thinking exactly Mm -hmm. the same thing it's fitting for us to end brothers the same way Paul does now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen amen brothers